This is Out of Office for May 2015, creating connected distributed teams. Welcome to the Out of Office podcast, where you'll learn how to work from virtually anywhere by using the internet for greater convenience, comfort, and freedom. Your hosts are Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira. Hello, Chris. How are you? Well, thanks, Gihan. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. We've had the Perth Comedy Festival in town, which means that we've had a few comedy shows recently. And it's seen anything that you liked? We've had a few laughs. Yeah, I saw a couple of shows. You didn't bother turning up, so I had to laugh twice as loud. <laughs> That's right. There was one that I had uh, something else ran on a little bit too long. But I did get to see a couple of good shows, which, is, which I'm really happy about. Yeah, it was an excellent, an excellent selection this year. Yes. Today we're talking about distributed teams and actually creating personal connections with them. That's right. And, and it's inspired by an article that we both read in the Harvard Business Review. And that starts with uh, a Unify survey of knowledge workers. And they revealed that 79% of respondents to that survey reported that they work either always or frequently in distributed teams, but that only 44% of uh, the respondents found that virtual communication tools were product- as productive as face-to-face communication. So there's this huge deficit between the tools that people are using when they're working in distributed teams um, compared with just face-to-face communication. So that's inspired uh, this need to try and improve the connections, the interpersonal connections between members of distributed teams and that's what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to look at it from two perspectives. Firstly, the your team perspective where you're a team leader but also you as a team member. And we'll start out, what we'll do is we'll start with the you perspective because it starts with individuals first and then that leads on to what team leaders can do to better enable teams to become more connected. And when we mean you, we mean you as a member of a distributed team, like a telecommuter or an out-of-office worker working from home. But the things that we talk about today, they also apply to people who might be working in office in a distributed team. So there might be two teams in different different parts of the world collaborating together. So the things that we talk about don't just refer to telecommuters or apply to telecommuters, they also apply to people who are working in office in distributed teams. So, Gihan, you're going to kick off by introducing each of the topics that we're covering today. I'll then present the you as a team member viewpoint, and then you're going to present the you as a team leader viewpoint. Yep, great. Okay, so let's get into it. So the first one, um, the first principle is show yourself, because people want to build rapport with each other, and they, they really connect with people as people first, and then you connect with their brains and minds and their hands to do the work. So that that rapport starts from a personal connection first, and then building a professional connection. And that's kind of obvious when you're in office, but it's a little bit harder to do when you're working in a distributed team. And it's easy to forget that or to neglect that when you're working in a distributed team, because it does take a bit more effort to share personal stuff when you're when you're working remotely with people and when you're using remote channels. Uh, you also hold back a little bit because when you don't see the person and you're not physically in the same room with them, you might not know how your communication is going to be received at the other end. So uh, you're a little bit careful with things like humor and tone of voice. Um, and also the other factor is that many people who work out of office, especially telecommuters who work from home, they just become used to being efficient in their communication. So they don't, they tend not to worry too much about personal rapport because they're focused on the task at hand. Yeah, yeah, you're right, Gihan. So 
As a, an out-of-office worker working in a distributed team, one way of showing yourself is just to project some of your personality into your collaboration and communication with your team members. So one of the simple ways that you can do that is that often in the collaboration tools that you're working with, you can set up a profile that shows some of the information about you, some of the personal side. So you can upload an image of yourself. There might be a byline that you can set that describes something about you. Um, and then on a regular basis, you can update your status. And it doesn't necessarily have to be about what you're working on specifically. It can have a, a, personal, a personal note to it. And the other thing you mentioned, Guyana, is, is how out-of-office workers are really can be really efficient in their communication. They're not so bothered about personal rapport. The, the other thing is that out-of-office workers can sometimes uh, withdraw and, and, and tend to sit in the background and be, be a bit of a wallflower. So fight that tendency. Make sure that you do speak up. Um, and also, you know, don't be, be, be a bit relaxed and, and don't be afraid to show some of your personality, uh, some of your humour. I know you've got a wealth of puns that you love to share with people, Gihan. So <laughs> don't, don't be too worried about sharing some of that during your team meetings. Um, and I've heard recently... Uh, a bit of advice that suggested that you don't use mute. And, and that's interesting because that challenges an idea that I've put forward in the past, which is unless you're um, actually speaking at the time, then put yourself on mute so that background noises and interruptions don't intrude into the meeting. Um, but the idea here is that if you leave mute off, then those things do come into, the, the, the other members of your team do get to hear that and they get a feel for the context and what you're a bit, uh, about. They might hear a dog bark in the background or your kids laughing or your car being stolen, the car alarm going off. <laughs> it gives them some, some personal dimension to you. So I think that's a, a great piece of advice. Within the context of a team meeting, you perhaps don't want to have that happening if you're speaking to upper management or trying to impress a new client. But within uh, within a team setting, I think that's a, a great approach to be using. Um, to the point that, uh, not just showing your personality, but to, uh, I've heard this phrase of being radically transparent. The HBR article used it, and they talked about um, the people at Buffer. Buffer is a great tool for scheduling tweets to Twitter and updates to Facebook and Google Plus and so forth. Um, the developers there use a tool that allows them to be radically transparent, as the article says, where they share pretty much everything. They share the bugs that they're fixing or the enhancements they're making to the Buffer application, but they can also share information about a movie they might have seen recently or books that they're currently reading. So that's really useful because it's, it's kind of passively shared. It's just something that you update and then other members of your team come across it and, and, um, and, and consume it and learn a bit about you um, rather than you pushing it at people, so talking endlessly about your hobbies or sharing far too many puns during meetings. That, that tendency to overshare um, is something you also have to be mindful of. So when you do project your personality, do it appropriately. Make sure that there are limits that you set. So then looking at it from the other viewpoint, which is the viewpoint of the leader, uh, you could, don't just leave it to your team members to take uh, take the responsibility for doing some of these things. Uh, part of what you've got to do is create the environment for that. So one of the things you can do is make sure that the collaboration tools that you're using do promote and allow this sort of transparency and, of course, help all your team members, not just the out-of-office ones, uh, to, to make use of those tools well. And just be a bit tolerant of people who do want to share uh, personal stuff. You'd expect 
that in your in-office, uh, between your in-office uh, team members and at meetings, but just understand that uh, your distributed team members may also want to participate. So you may want to start your meetings with a bit of a personal check-in as well, just to find out what people are up to, because in office, they might be chatting among themselves and you might know what they're up to, but this might be the only chance for your distributed team members to share what's going on in their lives uh, and just invite them, invite them to speak up and make sure that they feel that it's not an intrusion for them to share what's going on in their personal life and show a little bit about themselves as well as sharing what's going on with their tasks and uh, all what's going on in their professional life. Um, and the other thing I, I think that really helps is if you as a manager or leader share your personality as well. So again, your in-office workers may see that because you're chatting with them, you're laughing with them, you might go out to lunch with them, uh, have drinks with them on a Friday night, but your distributed team members, your out-of-office team members may not see that. So perhaps you have to work a little bit harder and just be a little bit more proactive in showing a bit of your personality, which again creates the environment that your distributed team members do the same thing. Excellent. Okay, the second one really leads on from that, and we're talking about collaboration tools, and one of the most important collaboration tools you can use when you want to create connection is, of course, video, and video conferencing is now, um, it's easy to do, it's cost-effective, the technology is good enough now that you can do that, and again, quoting from that HBR article, um, most people, 72%, said that video would make teamwork easier, and yet, only a minority of people, perhaps one in three, are using videos to collaborate with their co-workers. And video is so powerful because our world really is very visual. And uh, just in everyday life, we make connections through our visual communication. And with with distributed teams, again, it takes a little bit of an effort. It's because we believe that it's uh, that we don't need to do it. So we believe that visual communication isn't essential. It's less convenient for some of our, our out-of-office workers or distributed team members to use video. And it just isn't something that most workplaces do. So if you're going to do it, you've got to make a conscious choice to do it. Yeah, indeed. So looking at it from the perspective of you as a team member, it's important to remember that the advantage of video over something like audio or text communication is that it provides many subtle but valuable cues to your communication, such as your posture or gestures that you're using. I'm waving my hands wildly at the moment. You're missing out on that. <laughs> your gaze that help you better connect with the people that you're communicating with. But in order to deliver, to, to, to get benefits, those valuable cues, you have to make sure that you've set up your video circumstances correctly. So the way you've positioned the camera relative to yourself so that you're actually capturing yourself, not to the top of your head or your chin only. Um, and also with respect to, say, backlit windows, that sort of thing, so that you're not appearing as a silhouette in a witness protection program. <laughs> These sorts of things have to be set up right and you're responsible for doing that in order to really tap into the value that video provides. And the other thing is that people, for some reason, tend to be less forgiving of video glitches compared with audio. And I think that's possibly because they're the sorts of things that you're responsible for and you can take care of uh, rather than being problems with the, the underlying technology. So it's important to get it right. Other people are going to just miss out. They're going to be annoyed or, or they're going to be distracted by the fact that they're looking at uh, the, your bald head or something rather than <laughs> your full face. The other thing is that those cues can also work against you. So if you've got your setup right, um, people can really see what's going on. So they can actually see if you're disengaged, if you're bored or distracted, checking out your smartphone. 
that can be a real problem. So it's very important that if you're using video that you must be present. You have to be engaged with the people that you're communicating and connecting with. Uh, otherwise, they'll see that you are, in fact, disconnected and you know they, they could take that as a sign of disrespect or at least being discourteous. So it's really important that when you're using video that you be present as well. And that's a good thing, isn't it, Chris, that you're forced to be uh, engaged and connected because if you're sitting in a meeting and somebody was constantly looking at their phone or looking at the window or was obviously disengaged and distracted, uh, you would get offended by that. And that's right. You'd expect people to provide their full attention during a meeting. Yeah, it forces you to be connected and engaged. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Then again, looking at it from the team leader's point of view, if you're a leader or manager working with a distributed team, just make sure that you start start using video wherever possible because, as you said, Chris, uh, it's not something that people do a lot, so it does take a little bit of time to get used to it. And maybe it's just in simple ways. So even with your one-on-one communication, instead of making a phone call, perhaps you do a video phone call through Skype or FaceTime. Um, perhaps the next time you do an audio conference or teleconference meeting, turn it into a video conference. Even if you don't think that video is essential, it's just a way of getting people used to video and becoming familiar with video. And once you start using it, uh, just remember that video doesn't only have to be seeing talking heads. Uh, There are other collaboration techniques that you can use to take advantage of of the visual communication. And by using them, you not only communicate more effectively, but again, you're demonstrating the value of using a video in your conferences. So things like you can have a shared whiteboard that everybody can see and maybe even can draw on. You can share files and show them on the screen so you can pop up a Word document or a PDF document uh, or a web page. You can have an online chat, chat room that's live. I've even seen software that does things like online bulletin boards and mind maps. So just demonstrate how powerful visual communication can be so that people get the value of doing video conferencing uh, more than audio conferencing. It's not to say that audio conferences are bad or teleconferencing is a bad thing. It's useful. But if you remember that if you're going to build connections, then have some video conferencing in there as well. Um, And of course, that does mean that if you haven't already got the infrastructure in place, like fast internet and good video conferencing tools, then make sure that you invest in that. And perhaps that means that you need to um, ask IT or other people in the organization to provide that sort of infrastructure. But do it because it does make a difference. Mm. Okay, so the next one is um, So we talked a little bit about some of the technology that you use, but this next one is just this feeling that there's an us versus them mentality where, uh, within distributed teams. And this particularly applies when you've got some people who are telecommuting or working from home and other people who are in the office. And th- there's sometimes a feeling that those distrib- distributed workers are not really part of the team. And it's interesting because they're quite often seen as either too lucky or, or, or not, in other words, privileged because they can work from home or they're too peripheral. So they're not important enough because they are working from home. Uh, but also, if you've got two remote teams who are working together, but they're remote, then each team within themselves might be quite cohesive, but there might be a feeling of us and them between them. And I, I realized this uh, many, many years ago when I was working in a software project team where we had our team in Australia and another team in the UK, and we were we were working together. We were collaborating on a project, but it did seem very much like it was us versus them. And a lot of that was because it was remote, and it wasn't really a cultural difference. It was really a difference due to distance and the fact that um, we were each working in our own office. So just make sure that if you want to get the best out of everybody, uh, your distributed team members and your distributed teams, then you want to treat them all uh, all as equals, regardless of where they're working and even what time they're working. Yeah. 
Yeah. So looking at it as a team member, just be aware of any subtle discrimination in your attitude to your office-bound colleagues, like calling them office-bound colleagues, for instance. So especially if you're lording it over them about the greater flexibility and freedom that you're enjoying as an out-of-office worker. So just be sensitive to that. Uh, don't rub their noses in it, so to speak. In fact, be generous with that. Um, flexibility and freedom that you have. So try and use that as a way of better accommodating people in your team that might have less flexible work styles than you and and try and fit in with their less flexible um, work rules. And if you happen to be on the receiving end of uh, some kind of negativity because of your, your remote working circumstances, make sure that you nip it in the bud rather than leaving it to grow and, and having to be, become, becoming a big problem that's more difficult to deal with. So, for instance, you know, simple things like if you're not getting invited to a particular meeting that uh, you feel you would have benefited from attending, just say to whoever convened the meeting that you know you missed out on that you think you had some valuable things to share or you could have learned some important things by being at that meeting and just deal with that sooner rather than later um and the same with you know, other communications. There might be uh, email threads that you haven't been included in that discussed important things that you could contribute to or learn from. And just you know, say to the instigator of that thread, that would have been a really valuable thing to me, for me to have learned about sooner rather than later. And it's just much easier to deal with uh, at the outset than uh, later on when it becomes a big problem. That's right. And I think some of these things happen intentionally and some of them happen unintentionally mm. uh, because sometimes people do really feel like this person is not a full team member, so I don't need to CC them or include them on this email thread, um, which is, again, like an intentional decision, not a not a malicious decision, but an intentional decision. But sometimes it just happens unintentionally. So I can say, okay, let's get, to, let's, let's get together for five minutes to discuss this issue. And just because that distributed team member isn't there, they just miss out, even though if they had been there, they would have been included. You're absolutely right, Gihan. I think these things, um, more often than not, are just sub- subconsciously occur. They're not uh, the result of any intended malice. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Which is why it's really important as a manager that you're really aware you're aware of this and you have your antenna tuned in to be alert to any of these sort of things that happen. And and just as just as you would stamp out any other form of discrimination at work, just be aware uh, of any discrimination against your distributed team members or even by your distributed team members and just stamp it out. And as you said, Chris, because a lot of it happens unintentionally, it may be that people are doing this without realizing the effect that they're having on the rest of the team. So as a leader or manager, that's part of your role to make sure that the team works works um, cohesively and smoothly. So make sure that you stamp that out as soon as, as, soon as you see it happening or um, as soon as you are about to see it might be happening. And the other thing is that when you when you're treating people in the team as equals, we're not saying that you treat them all the same. So definitely they're all equals, but it doesn't mean that they all get the same treatment. And it's just obvious because your in-office workers and your distributed team members or your out-of-office workers are actually going to have different needs and different requirements. So, for example, if you are if you have a milestone that you've achieved and you celebrate it with pizza and drinks for the in-office workers, then obviously the distributed team members are going to miss out unless they can come in for it. But just consider giving them an alternative. So maybe they get the chance to take their family out to dinner and you pick up the tab for that. And that just gets you thinking about people differently. And, you know, Maybe then when you start thinking that way, you might even think of those in-office workers and realize that some of them actually didn't want to go out for a pizza party. They would rather have a book voucher or a day spa treatment or something else like that. And uh, it actually makes you a better leader and manager because you're starting looking at people individually rather than 
thinking of them all as um, one group that wants exactly the same things. Mm. Yep. Okay, so the next one is looking at goals. And this is about aligning your personal and your professional goals. And again, it comes back to the, the mentality of some people when it comes to looking at your distributed team members because they're often treated as just doers. They're just there to do a task and they're really good at doing the task and all we've got to do is give them more tasks to do and that's all that's all it's about and that's all their job is about. And that means that they can be excluded from higher-level stuff, things like planning and goal-setting and strategy. And again, it's not something that's deliberate, but it can make them feel like outsiders. And that's not fair. It's not fair to them and it's not fair to your team because you're probably not getting the most out of them. Yeah. So if you're in that position as a team member, it's a little – this goes, I guess, hand in hand with the show yourself tip that we offer, that we shared earlier. You can share some of the goals and aspirations that you have with your team and they can be the professional things like certain skills that you wish to acquire. So you might want to be able to develop in a new programming language or there might be promotions and roles that you're interested in progressing to uh, throughout your career. So share those with your team members as well as the personal things so that, um, you know, your your family aspirations, some travel that you might be planning or have coming up or places that you want to go, uh, those sorts of things, if you're aspiring towards them, share them with your team members uh, that they might be able to make it happen in some way. And in particular, um, share those aspirations that might run counter to the expectations people have of you as an out-of-office worker. So, for example, there's this idea that out-of-office workers are people who like to work in isolation, who are happy to be remote, who aren't particularly interested in managing other positions or other people. Um, So, if you actually are not one of those kind of -of out-of-office workers that you are happy to take um, on a managerial role, let's say, then let that be known. And and in some cases, some out-of-office workers are happy to sacrifice some of the flexibility and freedom that they get from out-of-office work if that's necessary in taking on a new role like being a manager for whatever reason. And also, keep an eye out for opportunities that might be in line with the, the particular aspirations that you have. So if you're seeing jobs advertised on the internal network, or if you see conferences coming up that are, in, that are of particular interest to you, then you know, communicate that to your manager or to other members of your team. Just let them know that, look, this opportunity is coming up. Is it something that I can go for? And do likewise for your colleagues. So if you're doing this, hopefully they're following your lead and they're sharing similar pieces of information. So it works both ways. If you if you come across a conference that's in an area that you know that one of your teammates is interested in, so just bring it to their attention. I think they'll appreciate that and they might do likewise for you um, when the opportunity arises. Yeah, I think this is the one of all of them, Chris, where as a manager or leader, you have to really take a lead role in this and you have to take a lot of responsibility because there are a lot of out of office workers and, and again, specifically the telecommuters who work from home who won't speak up. So they will, they might have their own goals. They might be interested in other conferences. They might be interested in training opportunities. And yet they might sacrifice them because they might think that, well, I'm getting the privilege of working from home. So I'm getting those benefits. So I'm willing to forego some of the other things that I might, I might be entitled to, but they, they don't feel that they're entitled to it. Uh, and they are. And as a manager or leader, this is probably where you have to be the most proactive. You might find some of your distributed team members, some of your out of office workers are willing to speak up and will suggest things but all the things that you've said uh, are quite right and uh, for the out-of-office worker who takes it on board fantastic but for those who don't it's really for the it's up to the team leader and the manager to make sure that you do 
involve them in the the goals, the team goals, the organization goals, their personal goals. Um, make sure that you provide training and mentoring opportunities for them. Uh, give them opportunities to uh, show off their managerial skills if that's what they're interested in. Um, give them the chance to go to conferences and other events that your uh, that your other team members get. So all those things that you mentioned are absolutely important, and it's it's essential that as a as a leader or a manager that you keep them front of mind. And really think of them on behalf of your distributed team members who don't think of that themselves. Yeah. Okay. And the last one's a bit of an optional one because it's not always feasible. But um, like all the, all through our conversation today, we've been talking about the fact that you can make personal connections without meeting in person. However, there might be times that you can meet in person, and if you can find or even create those sort of opportunities, then do so. Um, it's not essential and sometimes it's just not feasible. Like, for example, Chris, I know that you work um, literally half a planet away from most of your colleagues, so it's not that you can drop in for Friday night drinks every week. Um, however, there might be opportunities that you can create uh, in-person meetings. Yeah, you're right, Gihan. So you and I work in one of the world's most isolated capital cities. So for us, the bulk of the work, uh, the, the, the work in distributed teams that we do is with people who are physically remote from us. Um, but that's not necessarily the case for a lot of people working in distributed teams. It might be the fact that although they people don't work alongside each other, there might be members of their teams who are actually in the same city as them. So if that's the case for you, then you could take advantage of that opportunity to actually meet up with uh, with your local colleagues. And you can either do that on a professional basis, so there might be a piece of work that you're working on together, and you could perhaps do that alongside each other. So invite them over to your home office or go over to their place or find a co-working space and, and do some work together side by side. Or there might be a local professional event like a meetup uh, on some particular professional topic that you're both interested in and you can attend that together. Or you could do something socially, you know, catch up after work uh, for drinks. Um, that's a, a great way to, to meet and socialize and learn more about the people that you're working with. If you're not in that position or alternatively, if you happen to be traveling, then if it doesn't eat into your precious uh, holiday time, then it's it's quite possible to drop into your local office and catch up with your colleagues face-to-face. And in fact, that's happening to me later this year. We're going to the UK on a, a family holiday, and that just happens to be where a large number of the people that I work with happen to, happen to work. So I'll be spending a few days in the office having meetings and catching up face-to-face with some of my colleagues. And conversely, you know, I've I've often had, uh, not often, a few times I've had colleagues travel to Perth for conferences and that sort of thing. So when they're in the city, I I always offer, you know, if we can catch up for dinner or I can show you around Perth and, 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 you know, act as a travel guide. So make that offer to colleagues who might be heading your way. Yeah, exactly. And Chris, I think all the things that you've said are exactly the sort of things that managers and leaders should be thinking about as well. So, um, you know, looking at some of them, um, you said that local out-of-office workers could get together individually and they could but perhaps it's also managers could encourage that as a team leader you might encourage uh, people who are working together in the same town to get together and it, it may even be to the extent where you where you subsidize for those workers to get together in a certain place so you might say get to you know, meet at a cafe or meet at one of these co-working spaces and uh, and we'll pay for your membership or we'll pay for your coffees or something like that mm. just to get people to make those personal connections and to encourage them to do that even if they weren't thinking of doing it 
independently. You also said you can, you know, as a distributed team member or as an out-of-office worker, you might drop into the office whenever you can. Well, again, you can, as a manager, you can uh, invite, encourage, and uh, again, pay some travel costs if there are some costs uh, involved in getting your uh, distributed team members to do that. And, and it's worth doing because it just does give people that that stronger in-person, you know, face-to-face, belly-to-belly connection, which you don't get as a distributed team member. Um, you mentioned that you you host the, the people who visit your, uh, visit Perth, Chris, and show them around. Well, again, I think that's something as a manager or leader, you could perhaps organize that in a more formal way that, uh, you know, if you're, if you're in Perth and almost everybody else is in Sydney and, Mel- and Melbourne, then maybe all the meetings in the year happen around Sydney and Melbourne because it's so much cheaper for them to fly the one Perth person over. However, maybe you just take the opportunity to say, why don't we host a meeting in Perth? And then the Perth person may say, well, that sounds great. Why don't we go down to Margaret River and have a, uh, have an offsite conference there? So it just gives those, those people the chance to feel like full team members and actually, um, take advantage of the fact that they're working as out-of-office workers. And, of course, the other thing you can do is get everyone off-site and go off to a course or a con- conference together. Um, this is happening with my partner, Nikki, at the moment. Uh, she works in the medical device field, and they have a number of conferences uh, around the country and actually around the world. And in many of them, they have more than one team member going, and that just gives the chance for those team members to connect with each other uh, as well as doing their job at the conference. It, it lets, lets them create that personal connection as well. So there we have it, Gihan. Any concluding remarks? Yeah, look, I just think that this idea of personal connection is really important. And even in our personal lives, we know how much harder it can be to communicate when you're not in person. Uh, so humor can be missed or, mis- or misinterpreted. Um, people say silly things when they're sitting behind a keyboard. Uh, things that are said in the heat of the moment can't be taken back because what's said on the Internet stays on the Internet. And we kind of all know that in our personal lives. And uh, you may have said something silly on Facebook or sent somebody a text that was misinterpreted because they couldn't get your tone of voice. And the same applies in our professional life as well. So just be proactive in avoiding those sort of problems and be proactive in creating those sort of personal connections with our professional colleagues as well. Yeah, yeah. I think what we've talked about today is really important, Gian, because we spend so much of our our, our lives at work. And if you're an out-of-office worker, then connecting with your colleagues well takes deliberate and conscious effort. It's the sort of things that we've talked about today. But it's effort that's really rewarded through having greater social interaction with the people that you're working with and something that um, you know, improves the, va- the, the the quality of your, your out-of-office work um, and also improves productivity by virtue of the fact that you're communicating communicating and collaborating so well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And a couple of times through our conversation today, we've mentioned a Harvard Business Review article, and we'll make sure that we provide a link to that in the podcast notes for this episode, which you can get at outofofficebook.com. And that's also where you can get our book and uh, also have a, a subscribe to and read our blog where we post articles uh, regularly about out-of-office work, both from a, a worker's point of view and from a manager's point of view. Yeah, and if you'd like to get in contact with us, then you can leave comments on the blog posts and uh, we'll be sure to get back to you. But in the meantime, Gihan, it remains for me to thank you for your time today. It's been an interesting an interesting talk as usual, and we'll be back in about a month's time with another topic for our out-of-office listeners. Thanks very much, Chris. Bye for now.
Visit our website at outofofficebook.com where you can read all our show notes, subscribe to the podcast, and get our book, Out of Office. We wish you all the best in creating the work style of your choice.